Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement. Today, uh, I really sensed uh, as I prepared and prayed for our time together as we continue this series, a master plan. We're looking in, in, in Acts chapter 2, the immediate response as the church began. What did the original, pristine, organic church look like? The master plan. Uh, the very first church. And we've been looking at that. Uh, I firmly believe, biblically, theologically, doctrinally, in every way, that everything God began in the book of Acts is still in operation today. That the church that was birthed on the day of Pentecost, the, the beginning of the church, that that is the valid pattern for us today. So that's why we've been looking at these principles. But today, I want you to hear me. I want you to get this. I want to make sure you're hearing what, 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 what you need to hear, what I'm doing my best to communicate today, is that I not only want to look today at this plan. Here's what I want you to do. I want to look at the people in that plan. Today, I want to back up and look at the people that were in this master plan, the lives. And I want you to make the connection between you and them. I want, you know, I think we oftentimes in Scripture, when we're reading these biblical accounts, which are true and accurate, but we sometimes look at the people there as if they were perfect or different than us or at a different time or, you know, does it really apply to me? Is this applicable at this point in time? So we're not just looking at the principles of the master plan, which are dynamic. We've been learning them. They've been powerful. And they are to be observed, not just studied, but to be put in place. But let's look at the people. And I believe this is going to resonate with you and where you are in your journey. Maybe help you answer some questions. So, <clears throat> pardon me. Let's just read this, these verses. I want to read through. Then we're going to begin to make some application. Beginning in verse 42. They devoted themselves. Now, what's the word, first word in verse 42? What is the first word in that verse? Who are they? That's what I want to talk about today, okay? We've jumped right in these principles. I want to talk about who they were today. Let's see if you can connect. In fact, let me say this. There's a lot of stuff going on today. It's very interesting. Uh, it's captivating. We're able now with DNA and so many other things to not only research our ancestry, but to find out you know, our origins and these things. People are loving that. I think it resonates in our culture today because we unfortunately are so scattered and dysfunctional in our family units, what, what culture has done to us, and, and people want a sense of belonging and and legacy and identity and so ancestry and those types of things have become very important. So, so let me help you. I'm not going to sell this for $39.95 today, okay? You're not going to have to swab your mouth. What, what you're about to read is your spiritual ancestry today. I want you to look at this. This, these day, these day we're going to read about. Can I tell you? It's your great, 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 great grandpa and grandmother. This is your DNA. These are our people, okay? Okay, they, we're going to find out who they are. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Four core values that produce what we read next. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All these things still in operation today. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and their goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. 
they broke bread in their homes and they ate together. Look at their lifestyle with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we see this incredible life, this this way they did life together and the way the church exploded onto this planet. But I want to, again, let's delve in and, and, and think about who these people are. I'm fascinated by what they instantly devoted themselves to. I'm very interested about the choices they made as they responded to the grace of God. It produced incredible results. So answering the question, again, let's not just look at the plan. Let's look at the people. Let's back up in chapter 2 and, and, and read a few verses. Let's go to verse number 5, Acts 2, 5. Let, let's, let's try to understand who these people were. We understand it began in a prayer meeting, and on that day 3,000 were saved. But what was the makeup of these people we, that, that God used in this master plan? Well, let's look at this, Acts 2, verse 5. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Now, remember, that all come on spiritual pilgrimage for the day of Pentecost, the feast of Pentecost. So they're from everywhere. Verse 6, when they heard this sound, what sound? The sound of the rushing mighty wind, the sound of the 120 praying and worshiping God in these unknown tongues in the upper room. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now, let me stop there. I want to read a little more. What... <laughs> An incredible diversity. We, we have horribly skewed that master plan in Western church life. Do you see the ethnic diversity in the church? Do you know that God never ordained a church for us to worship separately because of our skin color or our race or our. The, the master plan, everybody came together there. It was beautiful. But, but let's be honest about this. Think of this. <laughs> Think with me for a moment. Do, do, you know really, do you know really sometimes divides? We, we talk about race and skin. It's really not skin that, that really defines us. You know, really it's our cultures. That's where we struggle getting together as culture. Skin, you know, well, skin color is only skin deep. <laughs> All right. And, and really, there's really only one race, right? The human race. Aren't we in that really, truthfully? Okay. So, but, but think of the cultures with me for a minute. Can you imagine the different cultures, the different languages, the different concepts of God, the different practices? And here they are. We're going to read in a moment an altar call is given. 3,000 respond. And boom, there's a new church <laughs> without any guidelines without any doctrinal committees, without any professors and theological church. Bang! All this gets put in one place. Can you imagine that? And God did something there. So I want you to see, this isn't a storybook. It didn't just happen. This, this was an amazing uh, group. So we read this, verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, 
they've just had too much wine. You know, from the very beginning, there will always be those people who don't want to accept Christ who will scoff and make fun of the move of God. Always. Do you know religion, which is not what Jesus came to found, Jesus brought relationship. Man makes religions. Religion will always fight relationship. The spirit will always be confronted by flesh and carnality. So, so we see the, these different dynamics that are working there. So in response to what does this mean, Peter stands up and quotes Acts 2 and, and preaches a message to them. So let's fast forward. Let's go over here and turn to verse number 37. Verse 37 in Acts 2. We're looking at who are they? Who are the they? What was the makeup of these people that were in this master plan of God? All right. So verse 37 says... When the people heard this, they were cut to the hearts and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what do we do? What shall we do? Do you know what that means, cut to the heart? They were convicted. They were sorrowful. They had an oh my goodness moment, just like you and I had. They realized, what have we done? What were we thinking? See, there are a lot of these people that the day Jesus rode in with the triumphal entry that were waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna. And a week later, they were the same people shouting crucify him. These were people from Jerusalem that, that uh, uh, struggled with this, that, that had problems in their own lives, that scoffed at those in the upper room, that turned their backs on Jesus, that had uh, things that weren't going so well for them. And when they heard this message and they realized that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, who died on a cross for them, they were cut to the heart. I don't know about you, but there was a day, excuse me, in my life where I was cut to the heart. I had grown up in church and was in and out and a prodigal son. And, and for me to turn my back on God, I, I didn't consider it, <clears throat> excuse me, a personal affront to Jesus. I just wanted to do my thing. I was just doing my thing. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And I would go partying and doing this and doing that. And then one day I had that same moment in my life. And I was cut to the heart. I said, oh, God, Jesus, you love me. You went to the cross for me. You took my place there. You paid for my sins. I don't deserve it. I don't earn it. That's what that means. When you have that moment, you know what it's like for conviction to grab your heart. And aren't you thankful you had that encounter in your life? That's what happened to them. And so let's keep reading. This is the day we're reading about. So, so they were cut to the heart. What do we do? Verse 38, Peter replied, repent. Excuse me, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And look, and, and look at this promise, not only for them, then he said, This promise is for you, yes, but look at this, it's for your children, another generation. It's not just for this first generation, it's for the next generation, your children. And he doesn't stop. He says, It's for those who are far off. Look at this. Then he says, it's for all whom the Lord your God will call. He's still calling people to himself today. The, the shelf life of the promise of salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit has not ended yet. Thank God. The promise was there. Verse 40, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now look at verse 42. They devoted themselves. That's the day. 
I want you to see these people. I want you to think about this. <clears throat> Here's a pretty riveting verse, a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Who, who made up that early church? Let's look at this. He tells them this. See if you resonate with some of this. Or do you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. Let's go to verse 10. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Stop. I, I, wanted you, I had to read those two because I wanted us to see verse 11. Right? Who were the they? Do we relate to them in any way? Then look at verse 11. And that is what some of you were. <laughs> we don't like to talk about that in church, do we? Now, I want you to focus on a particular word in this verse. See that verse at the end of the first sentence? What is it? Last word, first sentence. What is it? Say that out loud again. What is word? Is that a past tense word? Does that mean it's not currently in place? It means it was in place, but at this present time it's not? That my lifestyle was that? You were that? You see the, 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 the pro- Now watch that word work its way to this verse. And that is what some of you were. Don't raise your hands. Some of us were in those categories. Some of us were there. I'm thankful for word. Word's a good word, isn't it? Watch. But you were washed in the blood of Christ. You were sanctified. Come on, help me and Pastor Emilio out here. You were justified. Over and again, see that? In the name of Jesus, Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of God. So what I want us to just get this sense is that these men and women that 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 that, that God saved, changed, healed, delivered, uh, and, and were a part of this incredible launch of the church. We're not robots. We're not perfection. We're not people who had never encountered real life issues. We're not people who did not need the grace of God. They were real people like you and I, everyone else that comes to Christ. And I want you to see what happened there. So how did they come from what we just read to be those that God used to do these amazing things. It's, it's absolutely stunning who they were. They, they believed God. They trusted God. They gave him their life. Let me go back to this thing. They responded to the grace of God and they made quality decisions. I want you to keep that word decision in your mind. They responded. They had an opportunity. They encountered Christ and it transformed them. I want you to understand that journey That they began in different places, but look where they ended up. Look what God did with ordinary people like you, like me, like these guys. The they in this master plan. I want you to see that surely they had some problems. Surely they had some obstacles in their life. But they had a promise. They gave them a promise. They received something on that day that changed their lives radically. And God said to them in in, in Peter's message, say, this is for you, but it's also for your children. See, had a promise. This is for those who are far off for your grandchildren. As long as God's calling people. You know, when you really meet Christ, isn't it true? When you really meet Christ, when you've had that moment cut to the heart, convicted. You know, we, we've had this false little thing going on in church today that uh, we can't make anybody uncomfortable. That, that, that we can't preach in a way that would cause anybody to take a second look at their life. Man, we're not into condemnation because God's not in condemnation. We're not into guilt and shame. We're into grace and seeing people re- rescued from that. But I have to tell you, I thank God every day of my life. I had a day where I became uncomfortable. 
I, I thank God I had a day where I was cut to the heart. Where I could not have walked out of that encounter and known I had not been in the presence of God. And I needed to make a decision. If you get uncomfortable at Calvary sometime, I don't apologize. If the word of God has caused you to take a second look, you're receiving a good thing in your life. And we thank God for that. So, so, but, he gets, so but when that happens to us. When we're changed, when we're forgiven, when we're freed, when, when God's grace comes in like Rachel's testimony and others, you can, you, it's, not a, it's not proselytizing. It's not converting people. It's sharing the greatest news you ever received in your life, and it's too good to keep to yourself, and you just want someone else to have it. A promise. Guys, for all of you that came today, it's not just about today. I'm going to work. I'm going to save your family. I'm going to bring this gospel. And so they began a process that, that I want to show, want to help you with, maybe to understand your life. How did they move from who they were to become the people that God used, the, we read about in the book of Acts? So let me show you something. Let's start over here. What happened? Like every one of us, they had a promise. How many of you have promises that you're holding on to and praying over in your life? And I have, man, I've got a list of them. You have a list of them? A promises out of God's word. I'm praying. So watch this. Everything in your, in your journey begins with the promise of God. That's a promise. Even before you're saved, when you're not saved, you only have one promise. If you repent and come to Christ, you'll be saved. Do you know that for those that are believers, there are over 700 promises in scripture. So you have a promise. Watch this. That promise is the genesis. It's the beginning of your walk with the Lord. They had accepted Christ and they had a promise. The promise was what? Believe in the Lord. Trust him. Accept him. And God's going to save your children. He's going to save those that are far off. As many as the Lord our God will call. Everything starts with a promise. Isn't it good? How many are thankful for promises in your life? They give direction and hope. But let me, let me help you. You know what always follows a promise? A problem. Anybody ever discover that on your journey? Why? Let me help you. Now, I'm not through. I'm going to walk all the way down there before I'm done. All right? I'm going to give you some points. The promise. Hallelujah for a promise. Thank God for a promise. But as we begin to walk out to that promise, we're going to encounter a problem. Do you know why? Listen to me. God gives the promise and Satan gives the problem. Do you know why a problem pops up after God's given me a promise? Because Satan doesn't want that promise fulfilled. He doesn't want you moving in the grace of God. He didn't want their children and their grandchildren saved and the gospel to reach to us today. So we have a promise, and after a promise, a problem's going to pop up along the way. Can I help you with something? Don't let that move you away from your promise. Don't let that shock you. You know, too many times the problem comes and we give up too easy. Now watch this. Watch, watch this row. God gives the promise. Satan gives the problem. Now where do we come in? Now it's my turn. I'm going to have to make a decision. I'm going to have to make a decision. Do you get that? God made his. He gave me a promise. The devil gave, has brought up a problem. And now George Sawyer's got to make a decision. I can choose to believe that promise or I can get angry and walk away. I can get tired and give up. I can say, well, God, if you were the God who gave me the promise, then why am I having this problem? We've all had those days, haven't we? Where we said, well, God, I, you, you did this. Why aren't you doing this? God, why hasn't it happened yet? 
Why hasn't this come in place? Let me help you. It begins with a promise. The next thing you're going to deal with is a problem. That's not calamity. I'm not trying to scare you. God's bigger than every problem we face. The Bible says that for those that love the Lord, Romans 8, 28, I love the NIV translation. It says what? It says in all things, not all things, in all things, in the middle of this problem the devil tried to stop me with, in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So God gave me a promise. It made me, I, it's the direction to begin my journey. Satan threw a problem in my path, but God's still with you in the middle of the problem, right? God's bigger than that problem, but a problem came and now you and I are going to have to make a decision. What am I going to do? Am I going to trust God? Am I going to believe God? Am I going to get mad? Am I going to become offended? Am I going to walk off? Am I going to get weary? What am I going to do? God has a part. Satan has a part. I have a part. Now, what happens if I make a right decision? Let me tell you, some good things start to happen now. Does everything immediately happen? No, no way. But some good things start to happen. After my right decision, you know what begins to happen in my life now? Development. Now listen to me. You will never grow in your faith as a believer until you get right here. This is where all spiritual growth happens. To receive the promise was really easy. That's exciting, isn't it? To face a problem, welcome to the human race. But when I make a decision that I'm going to walk with God, that I'm going to hang in there, that I'm going to do what he said, that I'm going to believe in, now I'm developing. Now I'm growing. Now my faith is growing. Now my hope is anchored. Now my strength is coming. I never begin to grow until I get right here. Well, Pastor, why is that process? Let me take you to the end and we're going to go back and watch it. So what happens is I begin to develop. Here's what happens to us. We're always praying for deliverance. God is interested in development. We want deliverance. I come down here in a problem. I want to come to church. Pastors lay their hands on me. It's done and it's gone. You aren't growing yet here. Now, we're going to pray for you. And we're going to believe God to set you free. You with me? But I want deliverance because I have a microwave in my house. And I don't want to wait for mama to cook something. I want to throw it in and hit 30 seconds and eat. Right? I want to eat. I don't want development. I want deliverance. I don't want to grow. I just want freedom from pain. So we pray for deliverance all the time. That's all we want. How many are with me? Come on, tell the truth. Come on, wave at me if I'm kind of talking about the person next to you. Wave at me. Okay. Promise. Problem. Decision. When I make the right decision, now I'm developing. You know what happens as I continue to develop? I reach my destiny. This is my purpose from the beginning. This is why God gave me that promise because he saw where he was going to take me. And do you know what happens? Watch this. Here's the reason why destiny is on the other side of development. Because the promise that God gave me when I'm over here is too big for the person I am while I'm standing here. The greatness of the plan of God for you is so amazing that you couldn't handle it right here. That you're not ready for it right here. But God gives it to you to give you direction. And if I hold on to that promise, even when the problem hits me in the face and I choose to serve God, God's developing me so that by the time I get down here, I'm ready for everything God had planned in my life. Come on. You know you fell in love when you were 14 years old and you thought you knew how to fall in love and do this and do that. Dear God. Had, here, here's what I know about a lot of people praying over the years, pastoring this church. Aren't you thankful God didn't answer every prayer you prayed the way you prayed it? I said the way you prayed it. Do you know he did answer the prayer? 
He said, no. <laughs> a lot of people say, God didn't answer my prayer. No is an answer. If you come up to me after service today, say, Pastor, I just believe God spoke to me. You're supposed to give me your house, your car, and your money. If I say, no, you can't leave here and go, I asked Pastor Sawyer a question. He ignored me. He didn't even give me an answer. Yes, I did. I said, no. Is that an answer? It's an answer. Is it one you wanted? No, but it's an answer. So, so what happens, we're here, and God gives us his promise, and we begin to walk this thing out, and Satan says, we got to stop this before we get started here. So I encounter this issue in my life. But let me encourage you. The fact, next time you see it, or maybe where you are now, as you're walking this promise out, and this issue rises in your life, instead of becoming afraid or defeated or discouraged and hiding, why don't we say, wow, this must mean I'm right on track. This must mean God has something so big for me that the devil trying to stop it. If you don't have a problem, you probably don't have a promise in your life today. If you haven't had to fight a battle, you don't have anything worth stealing. If you're not dealing with an issue, then you don't have anything valuable. Thieves don't break in shacks. Thieves break in banks. The fact that thief came and gave you a problem means there's something so valuable in your life that if he doesn't steal it quickly, you're going to do something great for God. So the next time I have a problem, I'm going to hold on to my promise. It doesn't mean I like the problem. It doesn't mean I want the problem. But it means the problem's here and I choose to serve God. I stepped into this place and made a decision. And because of my decision, God's developing me and I'm going to be ready when I get down here. It's like a fruit tree. You plant a seed in a fruit tree. Let's call it an apple tree, orange tree, whatever you like, pear tree. doesn't matter. You plant the seed. There's a promise. It's in the ground. And that little tree starts growing. It's a little skinny tree and little skinny limbs on the tree. And it's not very big. And the tree gets over here. And you had like we did this summer. It was 300 degrees in October still. And, and forgot to rain. And, and, and the little tree is standing there. And we got a problem. But you know what happens when problems happen to a tree? Those roots just start looking for more water. And, 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 and this problem designed to kill that tree, the, the little tree puts down some roots and says, you know what? I'm just going to hang in here. I'm just not going to give up on who I am and the potential that's in my life. And that little tree begins to develop because it decided to hang in there. Now, what would happen? What will you do back over in the microwave stage we all love? What if year one, these little skinny limbs are sticking off us as this apple tree and big old juicy nice apples pop out all over our limb. Snap. Broke our limbs off. Killed the tree. You know why? Because I hadn't been developed yet. And therefore I wasn't ready for my destiny. But when I go through the development process, which is a result of my decision, and the apples start coming, it's good. It's blessed. We're great. Things are happening in our life. Are you ready for me? You see, the sign, the reason the problem came is just a sign that says your future is too big for this moment. What you're going to be is too great for this situation to happen in your life. And so we keep going. So what happens? It begins with a promise. Satan throws a problem. I have to make a decision. When I make the right decision, development begins to happen in my life. As I develop, I get to this place to walk in the destiny of my life. Let me show you a quick illustration before we pray. Go to Genesis chapter 22. Very familiar passage, but let's look at it in this context. Genesis 22. Let's look at Abraham at a, at a critical moment in his life. Genesis 22. 
This is where we, we see so much. So here's Abram. You know, when we first met him, it was Genesis 12. His name was Abram, not Abraham. And God did what to Abram? He gave him a promise. He said, okay, Abram. Now, you remember we read Genesis 12. It said he was from, he was from Ur of the Chaldeans, heathen idol worshipers. God's not afraid of where you are. How many can thank God for that? God will start where you are. So he says, okay, you leave your father's house, your home, your people. You go with me. See, we got to go somewhere. It's not going to happen here. We got to go somewhere. And he says, this is what's going to happen. Listen, he says, I'm going to make you. You aren't yet what I'm going to do down here, but I'm going to make you a great man. I'm going to make a great name. He says, I'm going to bless you. That's a promise. Wow. Thank you, God. And he says, I'm going to bless those who bless you. Thank you, God. And I'm going to take care of the bullies. I'm going to curse those who curse you. Wow. Thank you, God. And then he said, watch this. And I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through you. Man. He said, I think I'll start walking. So Abram starts going. On the way, what happens to him? There's a famine in the land. Instead of trusting God, Staying where God placed him, you know what Abram did? He said, I better take this thing in my own hands. Let's go down to Egypt. And he got down to Egypt, and when he got down to Egypt, because he's running the show, he looks, he takes two, takes another look at, at his wife, Sarah. He goes, um, we got a problem here. And she's 75, and he's 85. Let's get this straight. And he looks at her, and he says, girl, you are so fine. I mean, you're, you know. They're going to kill me down here so they can get you and marry you. The king's going to kill me and marry you. Right? That's how you think when you're not walking in the purposes of God. So she said, well, what do we do? She said, well, you know what? Let's just say you're my sister. Then I'll get taken care of. Him. Boy, that was smart. That was, that, what a noble man. Ladies, that makes you feel secure, right, to your husband do that for you? So what happens? Help, let me help you real quick. Watch this. What happens? Well, they find out he's lied. He has to leave. Before he left and went down to Egypt, the last stop we read about in Genesis, a place called Bethel, El, God, Beth, house, the house of God. He built an altar there, and he had worshiped God. When he comes back from getting out of the will of God, gets back into this line of destiny, guess where he comes back? Bethel. He goes to the altar. He says, God, I blew it. Let me get back online. Can I help you today? Aren't you thankful God gives second chances? Aren't you thankful that when you've acted foolish, you can come back to this place? Do you know where you come back? Watch me. You don't come back down there. You don't come back down there. You've got to come back here where you left the purposes of God. And humble yourself and go to that altar and say, God, I blew this 15 ways. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. If you're still blaming somebody else, you're not at the altar of restoration yet. If you're pointing your fingers at everybody else, you're not ready to be restored. You come to the altar and say, it's my fault. I told the lie. I blew it. I shouldn't have left. And you know what God does? He doesn't cram you down. He says, let's get going back on this track now. So he comes back and restores. So he walks and he made some more mistakes, but he kept getting it right. And finally he gets over here and we get and, and, and he makes choices. He does the right thing. He develops and he gets this son. He has Isaac. He was 25 years he waited. He's a hundred. Sarah's 90. She has a baby. She's never conceived before. 
And, and he's, he's living. He's walked this out. Watch me. He's over here. He's been developed. He's in the blessing. He's in this good place. And, and, and life is good. And things are going well. And he has his son Isaac. And, and he's rejoicing. And God says, I'm not through with you. <laughs> My years of pastoring. Let me say this quick and I won't stay long. Some people are here facing a problem. They're dealing with a problem right now. And they're wondering why this thing won't go away. Now, let me help. Do you have your read through Paul? He's writing to the Corinthians. He says, now this is me speaking and not God. You're right. He said this. Okay. Can you give me a little, uh, I'll give God a disclaimer. Let me put it that way. This might be me and not God. I believe it's God. But this, if you get mad, get mad at me and not God on this one. Okay. So I believe some people, as I've observed, they, they're facing a problem. And they're frustrated because they can't get out of this thing and, and move on down. Can I be honest with you? I've seen some situations where I really think you could get out of this problem a lot sooner if God knew he could trust you when you got down there. There are some people who so live their Christian life, their life is a problem. They live with a problem mentality. They live with a lack mentality. They live with oh, woe is me mentality. And so they live their life here. And, and, and the only way, I, I hate to say this, that they ever pray and get close to God is when they have a problem. You know, they never worship God because he's good. They never serve him because they love him. They only get around God when they're hurting. I mean, I'm sorry, but you, you, I know nobody here has done that, but you know somebody, right? That it, they, they, they play loose until they're hurting. See, I, I wonder sometimes, I've thought about this, I mean, just observing, I, I'm watching people here, I'll see, I never see them at church until they got a problem. I, I never see them pray until they got a problem. It's kind of like one family said they went to the hospital, true story, and her grandmother was very ill, they thought she was going to die, and they gathered around the bed and they said, let's pray, and the grandma said, true story, said, my God, has it come to this? I mean, she had never heard them pray before, she thought, I'm, this is it. So there's some people I wonder, if, if God puts you down here, have you learned to live with his blessing on your life? I mean, can, can he trust you down here? So we got to have a crisis to serve God, too many people. What, what if the prayer's answered and, and God is good and, 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 and you're blessed, come on, and the house is paid for and there's money in the bank and you don't need any help and you don't have any crisis and everything's good and everything's going well. What, what's our love for God in that moment? Come on, are you with me? What's that? Okay, I can tell it's not working. I just thought I'd get you to think about that. So watch him. He's down here. It's great. Verse 1, 22 of Genesis. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. I will tell you about it. Can you imagine that? Everything he had worked to get here for, God said, I want it back. I want it back. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. But look at, the, look at this. Look at verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up. And I'm going to tell you something. Listen to me. Abram, that received that promise, was not ready for that day. The man that was here, the day God said, I'm going to give you a son, would not have done what we just read. That's a big boy choice right there. That's a decision you make because you've been making decisions all along this journey. You don't get over here and say early the next morning, whatever you say, God, unless you've proved him sometimes. Anybody with me? That's a big boy decision. You don't get asked that question down here. You, you, you face that down there. 
But here's what you have to understand. Why was he able to do this? So they say early the next morning, drop down to verse 5. Stunning verse. Look at this. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Look at this statement. We will worship. Worship. We will worship. I'm going to go offer my son to God and you call that worship? We don't know what worship is in this day and time. I mean, worship for us is drive your, your heated car to the paved parking lot and we all greet you at the door and you get a cup of coffee and you come sit on a padded pew and, 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 and if the thermostat is 1.3 degrees off your favorite level or we didn't sing the favorite song, I'm not going to sing today. It's too cold in here today. My God, what I sacrificed to worship. Come on, don't, I'm, I'm pushing you a little bit today. I'm, on, I'm doing it on purpose. I mean, I got up out of bed today. God, look at my sacrifice. I mean, God, look, I'm here. Look, man, this guy calls worship giving God the very best he has. That's not little boy choices. That's big man decisions down here. See, you know what? Down here, you know what you, know what you call that? Down here, you call that, God, I don't understand you. Down here you say, you're mean. Down here you say, that's not fair. Down here you say, what is going on? That's what you say down here. Down here, I'm going to get in shape today. I'm running out of time. Down here you say, that's called worship. That's called worship. Are you with me? And then look at this statement that blows it all away. He says, we're, we're going to worship and then we're going to come back to you. What do you mean you're going to come back to him? You told me you're going to go sacrifice the boy. But this is what he knew. He said, a long time ago, I met a God down here who gave me a promise. And over the days, I've walked with my God. And I've faced a lot of obstacles that had no answer. But I kept deciding to believe him and do what he said. And I watched him as he developed my faith bring me to a place where I knew no matter what I saw, no matter what I heard, no matter what I felt, that if God gave me a promise and I chose to hold that promise, it's God's job to make it happen and my job to hold on to that promise so I'm standing down here developed and I'm saying to you that if I take his life my God will raise him from the dead because I have proven a God that cannot lie that's how they become the master plan the rest of the story you know what happened the promise God takes or Abraham takes Isaac, he lays him on the altar, raises a knife, and God says, stop, I've seen everything I need to see. Look over, there's a ram caught in the thicket. You've heard it a hundred times, but it's still the truth. Watch this. While Abraham is taking Isaac up on the altar to give the ultimate act of worship to Almighty God, on the other side of the mountain where he can't see, there's a ram walking up that mountain. And at the last minute, he sticks his head in a place and gets caught. And while I'm trying to figure out, what are you going to do? God's already got my ram waiting for me. You see, when I run away when I face a problem I never get to come over here and see God had it already ready for me I wish I would have said yes I wish I would have trusted God because now I see life from here and not just over there it's how we begin to watch this it's how this promise works out it's the faithfulness of God in our life I want you to stand with me let's stand together today so where are you today where are you today where, where are you in your journey? Is it here? We got the promise and we're trying to say, God, am I going to believe you? Am, am, am I going to trust you? Maybe you took a few steps, 
the problem popped up. And we had this thinking that said, well, if God's for me, why am I having a problem? If God said he was going to do it, why did this happen? God, this isn't Aladdin. No magic carpet rides. <laughs> this is the real world with a real devil who's horrified at the promise your God's given you. Who's going to try to throw something in your way to cause you to walk off. But see, when you saw that problem, you said, it's my turn now. I have to choose. I have to decide. Where am I going to go? And when we choose to trust God, we begin to develop. We begin to grow. I'm not just Abram for the rest of my life. Somewhere I become Abraham. Somewhere I, God begins to tell me, you're the man I knew you were in the beginning. You're the woman I knew you could be way back there. You're the woman I made you to be. That's in your mother's womb. See, see over here, I, I, I'm potential, and here I'm beginning to be reality. How many understand what I just said? I don't want to die and go to heaven with potential. I want to die and go to heaven with everything I ever had, knew or had, is on the playing field. How many understand what I'm saying? I want to go. Don't want to go and leave it here. I, I want, I'm there. I want to put it here. And then we come to this place. And I close with this. Listen, listen, listen. This is, this is the part we miss. And it's so wonderful. Through this whole journey, Abraham wanted a son. Remember that? The son. I want a boy. I want a boy. We never had a boy. I want a boy. I just want me and my wife, Sarah, the joy of having a child. Oh, God, I want a son. But what did God tell him in the beginning? Remember, we, we miss some things because we just want what we want. We just see what we see. Well, over there, God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a blessing. I'm going to make your name great. What did he say? Last thing he said? See, sometimes we don't listen to all God's saying because we're running out of the door because we heard what we wanted. <laughs> Got a son. Bye, God. You know what he said? I'm going to bless the nations of the earth through you. So all Abraham ever saw was Isaac. He saw a boy. God saw a nation from the very beginning. A whole nation. Do you know that if you'll walk through this, and there's not just a one-time trip, <laughs> it's kind of your lifestyle I'm showing you here. If you'll walk through this, God has a plan so much bigger than what you thought to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask or imagine. And what you may have lost along this way and you thought it'll never be the same, if you'll trust God and you get down here, God's plan is bigger than you ever thought it Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can connect with us live each Wednesday and Sunday through our social media pages. If today's message has blessed you, please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message of Christ. Find out more about Calvary on our website at calvaryassembly.org.